Well, let's uh, turn back to Joshua chapter 6 and the account we have there of the fall of Jericho. I'll just read the opening verses of the chapter. Now, Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. It's a very dramatic story that we read earlier of the first great battle in taking the promised land, the land of Canaan. And Joshua approached the task with great care and thoroughness. We're told in the previous chapter, verse 13, that when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing there. He went to look at Jericho. He'd sent spies to spy out the land. He did everything he could to make preparations uh, for the battle that lay ahead. And uh, the first thing I want us to see really in this passage is that a great and terrible judgment fell on the people of Jericho. As we read the passage, no doubt you felt the solemnity of it as you realized what was going to happen and did happen to these people. It's a very solemn event. It's not just a military campaign, it's something of religious significance. Now, sometimes we're tempted to say, well, this is a really good children's story, isn't it? About a battle. Well, indeed, all the stories in the Bible are things from which children can benefit, but this is a, a story of God's judgment falling upon the people. And uh, it involved the destruction of every living thing in that city. And uh, so we recognize that that God is holy and he is righteous and to reject him and to rebel against him is a serious thing. Uh, the people of Jericho were, and their king were utterly opposed to God and his people. When Joshua meets this man standing in front of him, the commander of the army of the Lord, uh, he asks him, uh, are you with us or are you with our enemies? And these people were enemies of the people of God because they were enemies of God. They were utterly opposed to him and they were being dispossessed because of their wickedness. In Genesis 15, Abraham's told in the fourth generation, your descendants will come back here for the sin of the Amorites has not yet reached its full measure. It reminds us that God had been gracious. There had been time for these people to change. Uh, several generations for them to change. But they hadn't. They continued in their enmity to God. It also reminds us that God has times and seasons. You know, very often people think, well, things just carry on more or less the same as they've always been. But there are times. Times when God intervenes. Times when he acts. Times when he brings upon people the consequences of their actions. You know, we're living in a world, aren't we, of of one crisis of another. And a, a world which, by and large, especially in the, the Western world, has rejected God. And you think there are consequences in rejecting God. Things just cannot go on as they are because sooner or later God will call us to account. And that's what he's doing here in Jericho. He's calling the people of the land to account. 
It's a serious thing to be opposed to the living God. There's no place for equivocation or uncertainty. More or less saying, well, I'm neutral, I don't take a position on this really. You've got to take a position because of who God is. Elijah was a prophet in a time of great evil in Israel when Ahab was king. And uh, he had a great confrontation on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal, the false gods. And this is what Elijah said to the people. How long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And what happens there on Carmel shows that Baal is no God. He doesn't hear those who cry out to him. But the Lord answers with fire. But perhaps you're in that situation, you waver. And perhaps you feel some sort of security because you're neutral, you're neither for nor against. But the challenge of, of Elijah to the people and, and the challenge of this passage is that you can't remain neutral. If the Lord is God, follow him. And you see, the people of Jericho and their king trusted in their physical strength. They built great walls. They were very proud of them. And it gave them a degree of security. People hadn't been able to conquer the city of Jericho. And people do put their trust in physical things, in who they are and, and what they can do and the strength that they have. And you hear today of, of different nations strengthening their military might because they trust in that. Well, Jericho was very secure from that point of, way, point of view. But the psalmist tells us no king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. Now, we've just sung a hymn, stand up, stand up for Jesus. Stand in his strength alone. The arm of flesh will fail you. You dare not trust your own. And, and what we do in, in a more personal sense, we trust in ourselves. You know, we've got a bit of experience in life. We've been around, we know a few things. Uh, more or less anything that happens, we've got an idea how we're going to handle them handle it but Jericho was like that but this day came and they were called to account by God and they couldn't stand they'd already begun to realize that the situation was difficult Jericho was tightly shut up because of the Israelites this vast company of people hundreds of thousands of people had come out of the wilderness where they'd been for 40 years and then they crossed the Jordan in the most remarkable way as uh, the Jordan parted and they were able to enter into the land on dry ground and they all crossed and were there and the people of Jericho knew and the wider country as well knew that this was something remarkable and uh, they were afraid and people are often afraid but you know fear doesn't save us People can be afraid, but they don't seek God. They're just afraid. James tells us that even the demons, the devils, believe, and they shudder. And uh, so there's no brokenness before God, no sorrow for what they've done. They're just there, knowing that judgment is coming, hiding and behind and trusting in their walls, and then suddenly judgment and condemnation falls upon them and it's a terrible judgment it's a solemn judgment every living thing was destroyed 
Verse 21, they devoted the city to the Lord and destroyed with the sword every living thing in it. Men and women, young and old, cattle, sheep and donkeys. And you know, sometimes people today say, well, how could God do that to those people? But perhaps you might ask this question, how could those who were the leaders of that city, those who were the leaders of the families, put their families in jeopardy by failing to recognize the living God? We have responsibilities before God. Generations had been given to these people and they had not sought God. It's also possible sometimes to look at people who don't know God and to be envious of them. In Psalm 73, the psalmist talks about looking at those who don't know God and, and feeling that really honouring God had been futile for him really because he wasn't prospering as they seemed to be prospering. But then he said, surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly, in a moment, they are destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. And he realises the vulnerability of those who seem to have everything. And we're told in the New Testament that God has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed, that is his son. And he's given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. The resurrect resurrected Lord is alive forever and ever and God has fixed a day. Well, this was Jericho's day. And one day, a day will come for us, a day when we pass into eternity. Or a day when there is the final, the last judgment. Are we ready? You see, there were some people in Jericho who were ready. There were some people who had faced the reality of what was coming. We thought about it in chapter 2, Rahab and her family. And uh, the spies and Joshua keep their word to her. Remember they told her, everybody is to be in her house when uh, the attack on Jericho happened and she had gathered them together not only she believed but they believed they didn't say oh it's not going to happen we'll stay where we are thanks no they they went to Rahab's house as well and she had the red cord in the window and uh, they were spared there are people who believe in God and take action in order to seek him because even in times of judgment God remembers mercy and this little family and we've seen how Rahab becomes one of those in the line that leads to the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ and it was by faith we're told that she was saved that is she she believed God not just believed in God she she took seriously what she knew and uh, she knew that things that had not yet happened would happen she'd heard about the great uh, passing through the Red Sea, the great exodus. And she'd heard about things of the defeat of the nations and she had responded. And she'd put her trust in God. And she was different from those around her. And she became a blessing to her family. And they found salvation too because of her influence. And so even when there are times of terrible judgment, when God brings upon people exactly what their sins deserve, there are those who recognize their danger and flee to him. So this is a story of a, a great and a terrible judgment that befell Jericho. Uh, but then it's also a picture of God's people obeying him and him giving them a mighty 
victory. I wonder whether you see this picture as something which speaks to us as not just individual Christians, but a company of people, a church, a congregation. When we sing hymns like Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, there's a military dimension, isn't there, to Christian service. I wonder if you see that. Belonging to this congregation who are serious about serving God in this generation. If you do, this passage speaks very powerfully to you, speaks to us all. Uh, here was, a, for instance, a, a wonderful victory of God's grace. Why were the Israelites given a victory and the people of Jericho judged? And people might say, well, because the Israelites were righteous and the, the people of Jericho weren't. But before he died, without ever entering the promised land, Moses spoke to the people in the book of Deuteronomy. And this is what he said to them. You have been rebellious against the Lord ever since I've known you. And you read about the 40 years in the wilderness and it's just rebellion. Time and again, they rebel. And uh, he went on to say, after the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It's not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Pretty plain, isn't it? They're not righteous people. They don't deserve God's blessing. And we need to keep that in our minds, especially in a day when many have returned against God uh, and many have no interest in knowing him. We're no different in our hearts. Uh, and it's a victory of grace that God gives peop the people the land as he promised to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Do you feel in a sense that, that that's where we are? As you hear that description of of the people of Israel, uh, that they have been rebellious and stiff-necked. We are like that too. You think of the, the weakness of churches today and uh, of the fact that we, we lack any ability to make impact upon the world around us. We've got Jerichos, we've got walls ahead of us, and we just seem to be not even make a dent on them. And is that because of us, because of the state of our hearts, and because of how we are as a, a company of God's people. You see, before um, the battle of Jericho, uh, there was a dedicating of the Israelites to God. It's described in chapter 5, where the Lord told Joshua to circumcise the Israelites again. Those who had been in Egypt had been circumcised according to God's law. Those who were in the wilderness, who uh, were there, they had not been circumcised. And so there was a solemn occasion when all the men uh, of of, who were going to say they were all circumcised. And it was a sign that they were a separate people. It was what distinguished them as God's people. And uh, they kept the covenant that had been made with Abraham. And uh, circumcision was the sign of that covenant and of their determination to be 
faithful to him. And uh, the Lord says to Joshua in chapter 5, verse 9, Today I've rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. So the place has been called Gilgal uh, to this day. And so here are the people spiritually dedicating themselves to the Lord. And I don't know whether the people of Jericho were aware of that, but what it meant was that God's people were serious about what they were about to do. They were going to see the fulfillment of God's promise, but they separated themselves to God and, and they consecrated themselves. And I wonder whether when people see churches today, our own and other churches, evangelical churches that love God, do they say, well, here are people who are serious about God, dedicated to him. So as they heard the people preparing for battle, they would have seen them being totally serious about God. In almost all evangelical churches today, a reasonable number of people gather on Sunday morning, far fewer gather on Sunday evening, and far fewer again meet to pray, whenever that prayer meeting might be held. Why is that? Despite all exhortations, why is that? Well, it's because we're not serious about serving the Lord. We may think about going to meetings. It's not going to meetings. It is partly that. It's just saying we're absolutely serious about serving God. We say we want to see people coming to know Jesus Christ. What are you doing about it? How is it affecting the way you live? Does it change your life in any sense? Uh, in terms of your seriousness and your dedication to the Lord. As these people, these many men, were circumcised. They were consecrating themselves to the Lord. Are we consecrated to the Lord? I say it's not simply attendance at meetings. It's just a people who are serious about honouring our covenant obligations and being faithful to him. Because they... They were going to trust God and carry out his instructions, his strange instructions, to the letter. Just as Rahab trusted God about things she hadn't seen, so they were going to trust God for things that they had never seen either. And the writer of the Hebrews tells us, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the army had marched round them for seven days. And they said, God has said he's going to do it. And we believe his word. And uh, so they marched around the city once for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And the ark was leading them, the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the symbol of God's presence. A very ordinary thing in one sense, but a mighty, powerful symbol of a great reality that God was with these people and the priests were leading them. And on the seventh day as they marched around uh, the city, all the people, all the men were there. And each time they went round, there were more and more and more. Just imagine living in Jericho and watching this strange thing happening. You were afraid anyway because of what you, you knew had happened at Jordan and earlier on in the wilderness and in Egypt too. But as they went those 600 metres around Jericho, in the end all Israel was gathered, this whole people were gathered standing outside these walls. And the people of Jericho are saying, well, we, we thought we were safe behind these walls, but what's going to happen next? And there was a sound of the trumpets, and there was a, a great call. And then the walls crashed 
to the ground. You see, they, they didn't say, well, what's the point of that? What's the point of walking around Jericho? What's the point of, of blowing our trumpets? What difference is that going to make? And it's possible, isn't it, to have all sorts of questions and doubts which we use an excuse for not knowing what we know is right. One of our hymns says, Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Bow down before him, his glory proclaim. With gold of obedience and incense of holiness, kneel and adore him. The Lord is his name. It's, it's that gold of obedience. That's the great issue in the whole about obeying the Lord and carrying out his commands. And doing it in such a way that they, they see the Lord bringing that terrible judgment upon Jericho. At the same time, they make sure that they keep their promise to Rahab and her family. This great army is going to take the city through the power of God. But they make sure that they maintain their integrity. Integrity before God and integrity for, for people. And uh, they believed God. It's by faith that these walls fell down. And as they obeyed him, as they marched around the city, the six days warning the people of Jericho what's coming, the seventh day, the culmination of it all. And one of the things is quite clear. Just as they pass through Jordan because of the Lord's action, Jericho is captured by the Lord's action. And at the end of chapter 5, Joshua sees a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua says, are you on our side or theirs? And the answer says, neither. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. You remember Moses, the burning bush? And uh, he's told to take his sandals off too because he's on holy ground. Moses met with God. Joshua meets with God. He meets with one who reminds us of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Savior. And he describes himself as the commander of the army of the Lord at his his sword is in his hand, his sword is drawn, and Joshua is confronted with a divine being, and he becomes a worshipper. Worship the Lord. Are we real worshippers from the heart? Not simply believing with our minds, but we worship him. And he is commanding the armies of the Lord. There's a, a phrase in the Old Testament often translated, the Lord of hosts. Some of the modern translations translated the Lord of Heaven's armies. Heaven's armies, unseen, great reality. And he's come to lead those armies. He's come to bring about a righteous judgment, but also the fulfillment of God's promise. God is with his people. And Joshua is made aware of the presence of someone much greater than he is. And yet the one who has promised to be with him, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And he's ready for combat. And I suppose the challenge comes to us, are, are we ready for combat? Are we ready to serve the Lord in our generation? Because the Lord was going to do something wonderful. 
it was his power alone that reduced the walls of Jericho to rubble. It was obviously not they who did it, but him. And it's the same for us in the New Testament. As Jesus was preparing to leave his disciples, he told them about the task that they had to fulfill, to take the gospel to the world. And he said this, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You'll receive power. It wasn't in those men, those disciples. They were weak as Joshua and his people were weak, as we are weak. But there was the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who came to be with them forever, the spirit of truth. And you know, it's that confidence that God is with us that spurs us on to serve him. Doubts and uncertainties, which sometimes we ourselves encourage, discourage us in serving the Lord. Joshua meets the commander of the army of the Lord. And he knows that he, this one, is leading them into battle. And that strengthens him and the people as they go forward. The Holy Spirit has been given. He dwells in every believer. And it is he who gives us power. And sometimes we say, oh, perhaps he's not with us. Perhaps he's withdrawn from us. But he's with us forever. And it's that confidence that he is the one who strengthens us, which enables us to serve him and to take on those challenges which are utterly beyond our strength. When we cast doubt upon the presence and the power of the Spirit, we have excuses for not serving him. Once Joshua knew that the commander of the Lord's armies were with him, then he knew that he must go forward. And of course, we have a decisive victory which our Lord Jesus Christ won on the cross when he defeated all our enemies. Uh, Paul says that he disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He is the one who won a great victory at Calvary, and it's that victory which guarantees the future. Uh, the victory at Jericho means that the rest of the land will be conquered too. And uh, Jesus was able to cry out on the cross, it is finished. And we know that love's redeeming work is done, and we enter into the fruit of that and the blessing of that because he sets us free in luke's gospel we're told of jesus saying when a strong man fully armed guards his own house his possessions are safe when you think about jericho armed strong thinking they're safe but jesus said but when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his plunder. One stronger. He who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. Do we have that same confidence? Do we look at Joshua and the people in Jericho and say, you know, the Lord did that. And the same Lord who has won a great victory in Jesus will do the same for us in our day and in our generation. As we heard earlier with the children, Jericho has become a place of mercy. Zacchaeus found salvation when Jesus passed through. 
Bartimaeus, a blind man, was healed. And the son of David had mercy on him. And uh, we have a great commission of mercy and of grace. We have a gospel to proclaim. What is it? It's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. And you know, I hear Christians saying today, you do wonder, don't you, whether the gospel is God's power. Do you? What else saves people? What else changes people? Except the good news of Jesus Christ who loved us and died for our sins. And we've got that gospel in our minds and our hearts and it is our responsibility to take that gospel to those who do not know him and to serve him in prayer, in witness and in godly living. Right into the Corinthians, Paul says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. You think of our situation today and the seeming power of, of atheism and ungodliness and secularism. But God has given us weapons, not worldly weapons, but weapons that are powerful to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. And so as you read this passage, you, you're thrilled at what God did as he brought the walls down. But do you then say, let's have more Rahabs. Let's have more people like her and her family who in the midst of darkness experienced his grace and were numbered amongst the people of God. Paul is told in Corinth to encourage him that God has many people in that city. Do you believe that? If we believe it, it will change the way we live and the, change we, the way we behave together as God's people. This is something that the nation does as a whole, not just individuals do it. They do it together. And if we are faithful to him, we too will see great things. The conquest of Jericho was the first step, but it's the beginning of a campaign. What's the first step for us today? Like Joshua, we make preparations. And we're ready to engage the enemy, who in some cases will become believers. Find the Savior, because that's our task, to preach the gospel of God's grace and of God's mercy. And the one who leads us is the commander of the army of the Lord. Are we ready to hear his call to service and to stand up for him in this present evil age? Amen.